Hey everyone, it's Max. Uh, this week, I thought I'd do something a little bit different, take a wee bit of a detour from the usual path uh, through theater school. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I also teach theater. Uh, right now, I'm currently teaching um, some online courses, and it's mostly theater appreciation, which is just sort of like a broad introduction and overview of of theater in general. Um, and this is a, like I said, it's an online course. So, uh, there are usually things like PowerPoint presentations, and then I will record a bit of a lesson to go along with it. So students can, you know, listen along, uh, to me sort of expanding on the ideas that are already there. Um, one of the fun things for me about that is that I don't always agree, uh, with what's in those PowerPoint slides because they're based on the textbook. Um, so I think it's helpful because, you know, I, I disagree with some of those points, but it's not to say that they're wrong. So I'm happy to give my students sort of, um, you know, two, uh, two points of view on, on a matter like that. Uh, so yeah, I, I've recently been re-recording those lessons, um, every once in a while, you know, need to sort of refresh things. Uh, so this week I'm bringing you my recent recording for chapter one, um, of the, of the textbook, which in case anyone is interested, it's called the art of theater then and now. I think I mentioned that in the talk. Um, but yeah, I just thought that that might be nice and I'll see how it goes. And I may, I may start sharing, um, more of those in this feed. Um, but next time I share something, it will be sort of back to, back to the usual, um, you know, just sort of my journey through theater school. Uh, and then hopefully very, very soon, uh, I will have some guests on, be able to chat with people who have a completely different perspective um, and can share their experience, which, you know, may be more applicable to your own experience. All right. So, um, yeah, that's enough of that. And here you go. Here is chapter one. Hi, everyone. This is Max. Um, today, uh, I just want to start uh, introducing the textbook to you. Um, so we'll start with chapter one, which is theater, art, and entertainment. Uh, just to sort of preface things, uh, I wanted to say that I like to use uh, these PowerPoint slides that are created and provided by um, the textbook publisher, the textbook being The Art of Theater Then and Now, uh, published by Cengage. Um, so yeah, I like to use... Uh, the PowerPoints that they provide because it sort of, um, you know, it, it helps identify sort of what the, the main takeaways are uh, in the book from their point of view. Um, but there are also um, a lot of things that they will often say that they will often uh, highlight in their PowerPoints that I maybe, you know, disagree with. Uh, so in those cases, um, I will absolutely say, oh, um, so he here's what they think, right? Here's what the author uh, believes or think is, is worth, um, you know, holding on to. Personally, I disagree and here's why. And then it sort of opens up a little bit of a dialogue, albeit a one-way dialogue, uh, but uh, hoping to just sort of create some questions in your mind, you know, figure out for yourself whether you agree with the book or with me or maybe you want to go in a totally different direction about a topic, which is also fantastic. Uh, but in terms of, of, yeah, sort of giving you a sense of, 
um, you know, what's going on in theater or how we define theater, um, you know, different ways to look at it and examine it and analyze it and criticize it. Um, yeah, I, I think it's great to have uh, views that are often synced up, but in many instances um, are in opposition to one another. Or I might find some like, okay, well, I, I see where they're going with this and I agree with this up to a point, but then when it gets to this point, that's when I diverge. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that and that's that's sort of why I'm doing this. So from here on out through to you know the end of the textbook, um, just sort of bear that in mind. Um, and, and that said, you know, what they say um, most of the time when they're talking about something subjective is not fact. It's just sort of the, the beliefs that they've, you know, developed and, and cultivated um, in their experience as, you know, theater artists or practitioners. Um, and then what I'm sharing, whether it agrees or contrasts with those uh, beliefs, those are my own um, beliefs and, and feelings. Um, you know, what, what I think is most useful, beneficial, uh, effective for creating and appreciating theater. Um, all this said, though, it's entirely possible that, um, you know, because this particular edition of this book was published uh, about five years ago, it's entirely possible that there's a new edition in process, it hasn't reached the printers just yet, um, where some of these things are are being addressed and changed. Um, and, you know, publishers often ask for feedback, especially from teachers, um, and say, you know, what what worked for you when you used this book, what didn't, um, what would you change? Um, and so when those sort of questions are, are put to me, I definitely share my thoughts. And, you know, maybe those get put into new editions, maybe they don't. Um, but yeah, it, it is possible that the publishers of, of this book no longer agree with certain things uh, just simply because times are changing and uh, opinions are are changing and reactions um, are are changing and and just sort of the culture around theater is changing. Um, I think mostly in a in a positive way. Um, so yeah, let's just let's dig in. Let's move along um, to slide two. What is art? Okay, so we're already going to start getting into little discrepancies here, which is fantastic. All right, uh, and also there's there's going to be a little bit of uh, Greek etymology here, you know, um, looking at, you know, some words come from Greek. I don't know how to pronounce Greek words, um, so I'll do my best. I'm sure you do your best on your end. Um, but, okay, here's what is art. So it's broken down into uh, three things here. The first is a skill um, from the Greek word techne. Okay, so um, I remember learning, um, I think, around the Age of Enlightenment, sort of American Revolution time period, uh, there's a lot of talk about the useful arts. Um, so, yeah, the art of, you know, metalworking and carpentry, you know, all these things that nowadays we don't tend to use the word art around it. Um, but it, it, is, it does still kind of creep in. So if someone does one of those things that we might now call trades, 
right, skilled work, in quotes, um, we can look at someone doing that and depending on, you know, sort of what their end product looks like or the the dedication that we see going into um, their process, we might say, ah, oh, this person is an artist, right? Or, you know, th- there's an art to what they do. So it's it's still implying that 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 craft, that practice is not itself an art, uh, which I, I think is sort of a mistake. Um, but it is sort of acknowledging that there is artistry and there is art in in everything, more or less. In everything that people can do, there is opportunity for artistic expression um, or for us to react to something uh, as if it were art. All right, so that's sort of, you know, uh, a skill can be considered an art form, but that is typically a sort of older look at that word. Um, an act of beauty uh, from a branch of philosophy known as aesthetics. Um, there's going to be a lot of disagreement about whether, you know, art requires beauty. Um, you know, some say yes, some say no, some say it can be in there, but it's not a requirement. Um, but again, that's, you know, a sort of older take on the idea of, of what is art. Um, and then art could be a specific meaning from an attempt to understand ourselves and the world around us. Um, by the way, when it sounds like I am quoting something directly, I, I usually am. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's, that's what it says on the slide. Um, from an attempt to understand ourselves and the world around us, right? So there is meaning in art, there's art in, in meaning. Okay, let's, let's move along and get a little more into it. Okay, here's a uh, an interesting um, quote from David Hume um, that definitely applies to that that second bullet point um, on the previous slide and an act of beauty. So Hume says, "Beauty is no quality in things themselves; it exists merely in the mind which contemplates them, and each mind perceives a different beauty." Right. Um, so. Yeah, if if we think about um, beauty as you know being sort of narrowly defined, and uh, you know classical senses of the word beauty, um, then that's when I would say, yeah, art doesn't have to involve an act of beauty, um, but if the definition of beauty is expanded and it is you know, we see beauty when our idea of what beauty is, is reflected back to us by something, by a a piece of art, for example, Um, then sort of anything can be beautiful. Uh, And so you could then argue, I think a a little more solidly, that that art um, involves an act of beauty. But again, it's up to the to the perceiver. So you know, one piece of art may um, may seem like there's an act of beauty involved to one person, but not at all to another person. So that said, I don't think we can we can sort of use that requirement of an act of beauty in, in talking about what is art or what is involved in art. Um, 
But I think for a very, very, very long time, um, there was an idea around um, around art that beauty was a, an essential part of it. Um, and it, it, like with anything, there are myriad schools of thought of of what is art, what is theater, um, and, and or, or what defines those things. Um, and so there's going to be, yeah, just different definitions. Um, and that's great. That's fine. Um, we don't have to agree with any of that. Um, it's most important that, that you be able to define it for yourself. Um, and if you're taking a class like this one, um, then you're going to be asked by other people to define it. Um, by myself on a quiz or a test in a project, whatever, um, to be able to sort of articulate your experience. That's sort of the point of uh, theater appreciation. Um, but as far as just someone experiencing the art, that's, that's all for you to, to feel and experience yourself. And it's only when you want to share your thoughts about something uh, that you then need to start articulating it and intellectualizing it. Um, and when I say you, you want to communicate to someone, uh, that could also include you need to communicate that to someone, um, either because it's so important or because you're taking a class on it. Um, okay, great. So that's, that's a, a very narrow, small, you know, short uh, glimpse into what is art. Um, I think there's a lot more to say about it and some more of that will come up in the slides to come, but, um, yeah, that's just a little sort of precursor, uh, because of course we're going to get into talking about whether, you know, theater is art. So let's carry on. And uh, next slide, slide four. Um, what are the basic qualities of art that all works of art share? Right? So, yeah, we could try to define art uh, very intellectually, or we could just look at it. Um, and anything that we would point to and say, that's a work of art, then we try and find the common denominator. Okay, so if all these things are art, then anything that is shared by all these works of art must be sort of part of the fabric of art, must be a requirement of art. Um you know, and of course, then that can get complicated because then people might disagree. You might say, here are 10 works of art. What is common among them? And then some person might pull up next to you and say, well, I would say only eight of those are works of art. The other two are something else. Um, but assuming we all agree on, you know, these things, uh, these works of art being works of art, let's see what are some uh, shared qualities. Um Okay, so next slide. Art is a form of human expression. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pick that apart in a second. Um, but the word art springs from the same root as the word artificial, right? Um, so you've probably been hearing the phrase artificial intelligence a lot lately. Or you've probably read on a packet of food, um, no artificial flavors or ingredients right? So all that means is made by humans. Um, so art is not the real thing, 
but rather a human creative endeavor that involves the perceptions and imagination of an artist who is trying to say something in his or her own particular way, right? So if you see a flower, that flower is not art, right? That's, that's nature. It's natural rather than artificial. But then if you draw a picture of that flower, you make a sculpture of that flower, um, you do a 3D printing of that flower, wh whatever uh, way you want to try and recreate or represent that flower, that's now your, your human-made version of it. Um, that's your creative endeavor. Um, yeah, and, and with the exception maybe of the 3D printing, um, all of those could easily um, be, you know, perceived as art, right? The, the drawing, um, the sculpture. Um, and because it's, it's you sort of seeing that flower, taking it in through your senses, and then sh what, what comes out of that, um, you know, what shows up on the page um, or, you know, what you make out of the clay, or the bronze or whatever, um, that's, that's that flower, but filtered through your consciousness. And it's tinged with your feelings about that flower, whether you think it's beautiful or not. Um, you know, how you perceive the colors of, of the flower, you know, um, what that flower makes you feel. All of that goes into it. So when you're seeing a piece of art, you're not seeing the the natural flower that exists for anyone to come um, see and say, well, I think this and I think that and I think that, but that flower is always going to be that flower. This is now someone saw it and they're giving you a specific expression of sort of what they feel about the flower or, or what it does for them. Okay, great. Let's, let's move on. Okay. Um, it says here, in one sense, the aim of the scientist and the aim of the artist are the same, since both are in pursuit of what they call truth. But the difference between them may be said to consist in this, that while for science there is only one truth, for the artist, there are many. Uh, that is from Joseph Wood Crutch. Um, yeah, I think. I think if, again, if we sort of um, talk about science in terms of a sort of modern, contemporary, narrow um, version of of science, like what what we learn about in in high school, let's say, uh, in science class, and we study the scientific method, and we are trying to find one solution to something, um, then, then yeah, uh, we we could look at that as true. Um, it's I think it's it wouldn't be too hard to open up our definitions of of what science is, but these days, what we hear people talk about the way that that people say i believe in science um you know i 
that's pointing to a much narrower definition of science and pointing to the idea that science can prove that there's only one truth about something. Um, but as you've probably heard in conversation, um, people saying things like, I just want to speak my truth, right? If you say my truth, and that implies that someone else has their own truth and someone else has their own truth. Um, and that's more of, of what you get in art. And I, I talk about this a fair amount, um, when I talk about theater, about the difference between truth and reality. And I feel like, um, you know, reality is definitely flexible. Um, but I think that, I think that reality has a, um, reality to me feels more like a, a one truth, right? Uh, like the the real thing that that flower that has grown in the meadow that we see, and then our you know anyone's artistic expression of that is their their truth of that. Um, so it's it's a bit tricky to sort of uh, unpack these things sometimes, um, but yeah, the the idea that there are many truths, uh, there are many ways to artistically express you know one idea or one thing um so i would say don't worry too much about um trying to understand or make sense of all this because i myself um think you know what i don't i don't fully comprehend this or i don't think i can um you know, speak definitively or eloquently about this. And it's so fluid and we can always sort of change our minds about these things. So I think the the biggest takeaway about this for you, I would hope would be that it is fluid and it is difficult to, um, to pin down as, as one thing or another. Um, but at the very least there there is a difference. There are distinctions to be drawn. Um, but sometimes those lines are fuzzier than other times. All right. Uh, next slide, uh, slide seven. Art involves subject and medium. Okay. Uh, so let's just dive into what they've set up here. Uh, the first category is spatial arts, uh, which includes things like architecture and sculpture. Right, so those we could also just call that uh, you know three dimensional. Um, it it takes up physical space. Um, it's something we can kind of uh, we maybe we're only meant to to look at it, um, but if we reached out with our hands, um, we would have a pretty uh, vivid experience in a way that's different from if we were looking at a, a photograph where the the focus is really on the image itself and not on the the physical thing that is the photograph um and then there's the pictorial arts right such as photography or painting uh line and color in two dimensions is basically what how they're breaking that one down um 
yeah, two-dimensional. Obviously, a piece of paper itself is three-dimensional, right? It, it exists in space. But if we're just thinking about the idea of the thing, the the image, right, rather than uh, the print of the image, then then there is that. What's really interesting, I think, is, is where those two things kind of converge. So, like, if you go look at a Van Gogh painting, right, um, there's so much of the art uh, of the experience of of looking at that is seeing the the sort of depth and the meatiness of of the paint on the canvas. It's like a very three dimensional kind of thing. So if you if you ran your hands across a Van Gogh canvas, it would not be a smooth ride for your fingers. Um, there'd be a, a lot of bumps, and and you sort of see that when you look at it and so that that informs your visual experience right that that can do something to you internally that you're maybe not even aware of um that would be different if you were looking at a photograph that doesn't have those sort of physical layers or even if you're looking at a print of a van gogh right because a print of a van gogh it 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 captures those um you know the the depth of those brush strokes and of the paint it we see that there is depth there but it's only capturing it f- from one angle straight on whereas you can go look at a van gogh you can stand to the right of the canvas you can stand to the left you can you know, kind of squat down, you can get on a ladder and look over it, and then you have a different experience um, because it, it does sort of exist in space in a, in a very different way. Um, but anyway, that's, so that's sort of on the, the fence between spatial arts and pictorial arts. Um, then there's literary arts, uh, including poetry, novels, short stories, um, you know, uh, depending... Uh, some plays are viewed as literary these days. Um, some, uh, not very much anymore, but a long time ago, some plays, and not very many, uh, were um, called closet dramas, and, and they were meant to be to be read privately, um, uh, maybe aloud with friends, but not performed publicly. Um, so... Those are dramatic in a way, but also could be perceived as literary. Uh, and then there are performing arts, which are uh, performed by a person. Um, I'll go ahead and quibble with the with that performed by a person bit. I'll just say that right now, and then I'll kind of tell you a bit more what I mean in a, in a slide coming up. Um, but basically, that art, whatever it is... Um, the the artistic expression of a story of a flower in a field um those things are performed okay um which you know requires some you know uh some kind of actor uh to to interpret um you know uh the the subject and express it outwardly um, so that other people can see. Um, okay, great. Let's, let's move along. Um, art makes you feel something, says slide eight. Great. 
I'd agree. As I said before, we only intellectualize it when we need to talk about it, express it to, you know, another person. But just when we're there in the audience or in the gallery or, you know, wherever, all we need to do is is feel and have an experience around a piece of art. Um, but we don't necessarily need to, um, you know, think about it. Think about why we are feeling that way. Um, we can certainly do that. We don't have to resist the idea of, of figuring that out, but it's, it's not the necessary thing. All right, moving on, uh, slide nine. Art provides a perception of order. It is the function of all art to give us some perception of an order in life by imposing order upon it, says T.S. Eliot. Also, uh, Jean-Henri says, life is very nice, but it lacks form. It's the aim of art to give it some. All right, so I don't know that I'd agree that the aim of art is to give form to life, but I might agree to some extent that it does give form to life. Um, yeah, same. I don't know that I'd say it's the function of all art to give us perception of an order in life. Um, but I think it can and does give us perception of an order in life. Um, and the way I think about that is just, you know, I had a teacher a long time ago who would say, you know, a play let's say a play about a person, let's say, that's, that play is about the most interesting two hours of that person's life, right? They're not, you know, with some exceptions, you know, some plays, it's, it sort of follows linear time, you know, from start to finish, right? It, everything's happening in real time, that certainly happens. But a lot of the time, a play is, is a combination of scenes, um, where time is is skipped between scenes, right? So you might have a scene that happens one day um, and maybe the scene ends when the person goes to bed and the next scene starts when they wake up, but the play doesn't include the whole time that they were asleep, let's say, um, because maybe that wouldn't be interesting or engaging or exciting for an audience member to watch. Um, and that's not what's important to the artist who's created it. Um, so we're, we're skipping those bits, right? So that's already sort of imposing some sort of order or some sort of form um, on life, right? Um, life is sort of, you know, happening as it does, not necessarily happening to us, I wouldn't say that, um, but it's, it's moving along, it's going on. Um, and if we were just to um, sit and watch somebody's life happen, um, we would just say we're watching someone's life happen. We wouldn't say that's art. But if we take that life and we sort of break it apart, distill it, maybe rearrange it sometimes um, in a way that is interesting and compelling to other people, um, that draws them in, that makes them want to engage with this slice of life, um, then we start to call that art, right? Even reality TV, uh, I think once upon a time, there may have been some reality TV uh, that 
is, that was literally just, um, you know, the, the sequential moments of people's lives. Um, but now that's only for stuff like a panda cam at a zoo, you know, um, but reality TV is now, uh, we have the perception of order around it and it is given some sort of form um, and it's manipulated so that people are engaged and, and want to stick with it. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, those aren't necessarily, uh, that's not necessarily a defining quality of art, but it is something that we, that we notice that separates, again, art from life. The politics of art. At the core of every artist is a political individual who states an opinion that may challenge an audience's values and shatter their perceptions. Okay. Again, this is... This is debatable, you know. I I can't sit here and say like, yep, no, that's definitely true. That's always true. And if it's not true, then it's not art. I don't think that's the case. Um... Yeah, and, and political, not necessarily meaning like the political arena that relates to, you know, government and and, and all that, but, um, you know, maybe a bit of society. But again, I think this might be more appropriately dealt with by the perceiver of the art, you know. Uh, sure, an artist can have a political... Uh, bent and want to express that in their art may want to challenge an audience's values and shatter their perceptions um but i think that it's possible to create art without having that intention um but then for someone to perceive that art and it has that effect on them so let's move along to art and entertainment or, you know, sort of what they're getting at is art versus entertainment. All right. So when you come into the theater, you have to be willing to say, we are all here to undergo a communion to find out what the hell is going on in this world. If you're not willing to say that, what you get is entertainment instead of art and poor entertainment at that. And that's from David Mamet, who's a, a pretty well-known uh, playwright. So, what's he saying there? Um, you have to. You're here to undergo a communion, right? To um, to do this thing together and to find out what the hell is going on in this world. So, I think in his mind, to be participating in art. Um, you've got to have a sense of exploration or a willingness to explore, to question, to be open to um, to different ideas, to different versions of, of truth. Um, but if you're sort of strictly there to just go along with what's already happening, what's already popular, whatever... Um, then that's more in line with entertainment. And so let's let's go to the next slide and just have a look at this little chart here. Here, two columns, art on the left, entertainment on the right, um, and a few bullet points. And so under art, 
it says, uh, art lets us see another's POV, right? Point of view, um, right? Art requires active viewing, uh, right? So it's it's harder to just sort of sit back, um, you know, when art is happening or when art is in front of us, um, we've got to sort of step up to the plate um, and engage with what's going on. Um, art is about self-examination, uh, right? So we get to see something in front of us or sense something in front of us um, and sort of feel a sense of necessary reflection about our own lives. Like, do do I do this? Do I believe in this? Uh, this story that I'm seeing unfold in front of me, how do I feel about that? Um, is it relatable to my own story? Is it very, very different? Do I want my story to be more like this? Am I happy with what I have? Um, art definitely, you know, has the capacity to do that. Um, it has great potential as an agent of social change. Um, yeah. Uh, it challenges the audience. Uh, it is about edification, transcendence, and contemplation. Um, and it does not compromise for public taste. Uh, I think that last one is, is pretty important. Um, right. So if you're, let's say you have a, a play, right? Um, and you get someone who says, you know what? I want to fund your play. I want to put up the money so that you can produce this play. And you say, oh, great. And you start producing it and, um, you know, you're in the middle of rehearsals and you know that, let's say, you've got a week of rehearsal left before it opens. Um, and then that that producer right? That uh, person who's given you the money to do this says, um, you know, you know, it would be great, I think, is if, is if we changed some of this play so that it, um, so, so that it, you know, talked about, I don't know what, um, candy bars, right? And maybe, maybe that investor owns a candy bar company or something like that and and he wants the audience to start thinking about that. So he's basically trying to become an advertiser in this play that that they've, you know, funded. Um if the creator, the playwright, whoever says um yeah, uh okay, let's let's do that. That's fine. Um then they're sort of stepping away from from the artistic integrity of what they had initially created. Um, and they're sort of leaning more into public taste. Well, I mean, that's the taste of the producer. Let's, let's be, let's get even more, um, into the public. So let's say it was about, let's say the play was about something, um, that the public, uh, has, very mixed feelings about, right? Uh, let, let's say that you're trying to produce this play in a place where um, some group of people uh, does not have the same civil rights as the, the majority group of people, right? Um, 
And then the public in this place finds out that you're doing that and they want you to change it because they um, they don't like being made to think about the civil rights of this other group, right? Um, if you say yes, then you're giving in and compromising because of public taste. Uh, if you say, uh, no, I'm not going to do that, this is this is you know, my work and my expression and I will express it the way that I feel I need to, then you're maintaining your artistic integrity. Got it? Great. Uh, and then on the right-hand column, we have entertainment, which reaffirms our, reaffirms our own POV, our own point of view. Um, it targets the largest possible number of people. It makes few intellectual demands on the viewer. Uh, it may examine life, but it does not lead to criticism, does not lead to sort of questioning. Um, it has little potential as an agent of social change, and it is about gratification, indulgence, and escape. Okay, so what are we talking about there? Um, yeah, entertainment is not trying to change the world. It's trying to, I think, well, a number of things in the most sort of... Um, optimistic sense it's trying to give the audience something down at the bottom gratification indulgence escape right it's trying to provide something uh joyful and, and wonderful um and that's fantastic um and that that exists and that has a place and it has a purpose no one is putting entertainment for entertainment's sake down um just trying to define is that art right so you you know, you might hear someone talk about a recording artist, right? A, a songwriter who writes songs and records them and publishes them and, and then they're listened to uh, by millions and billions of people even. Um, but then you can look at this chart, let's say, if, if you agree with it all and say, okay, it does everything on the right-hand side. Does it do anything on the left-hand side? Um, does it require active viewing or listening um does it does it challenge me does it challenge my beliefs um you know uh does it make me examine myself and if it doesn't really do those things then then you might say oh this this is really just entertainment um and so it's interesting that they're called a, a recording artist right uh, but that that word gets thrown around a lot and that's fine and that's that's fair enough because an artist can just mean someone who creates something right something artificial like like we talked about before but um yeah in this sense of trying to examine like what is art and trying to define it then maybe that's not the most appropriate word moving on what is theater Okay, great. So the word theater comes from the Greek word theatron, meaning seeing place, right? So if you look at like an old Greek theater, um, the basically the seats, there's this semicircle of rows and rows and rows and rows of seats, basically like bleachers, but in a semicircle. Um, and that's called the theatron, which is where you sit to see the play. Um, now we talk about the audience, which is audio hearing right um but in, in either um in either sense it's it's where you go to sense 
that story or that, yeah, um, that performance unfolding. Uh, according to director Peter Brook, all that is needed for theater to occur is an empty space and someone to walk across that space while someone else watches, right? So that's that has been sort of uh, accepted pretty widely um, as a solid definition of the, the sort of the bare minimum of what you need to make theater. Um, and... I think that's that's fair. What what you need basically is the performer, the audience, and the thing that needs to be performed. So in this case it's walking across the stage. Okay? And if you have those three things, then you can have theater. And the empty space is is wherever. It could be in a theater, it could be in a classroom, it could be in a bedroom, it could be on the beach, you know. Um but then you add those three elements, performer, audience, and a thing to do, and then you can have theater. It might not be interesting theater, but we can say it's theater. Moving on, what is drama? The word drama comes from the Greek word dran, meaning to take action, or to do, or to make, or to accomplish. All right, very interesting. Um, Because action, now in the sort of more contemporary, um, you know, schools of thought about acting. When I say contemporary, I mean, the, you know, over 100 years old now. But um, in terms of the sort of realistic acting style that we come to expect, especially, you know, in, in movies and certain kinds of plays, um, action is sort of at the core of that philosophy. And it's basically what what are you trying to do to another person to get what you want to get from them, right? Um, so if I want someone to, uh, let's say you want a, a teacher to give you a better grade, right? There are a number of actions that you could perform to try and do that. And it doesn't have to be, I'm not talking about a physical action. I'm talking about in in conversation, in in uh, your interaction with them, you could plead, right? That's an action. Um, you could, um, you know, encourage them. You could shame them into giving you a better grade. Not a great idea, but that's that's a thing. Um, you could make them try to make them feel foolish for um, for giving you a poor grade. I suppose that there's a bit of shame in that, but. Um, yeah, so actors, you know, whether or not they carry it into their professional lives, when they're training, they're basically told to think about um, about what action could you perform to try and achieve whatever goal you have in that moment. So a lot of people think that acting is is, you know, about the feelings that you feel and making facial expressions that align with those feelings. And that's all fine because that's what an audience perceives on the other end of it. But if you go in thinking, I'm going to feel sad here, sad could look like a million different things. Um, So that sadness should be the byproduct of some action happening and, and, and then you reacting um, to that action right? Someone does something that then makes you sad. And your sadness looks like the version of sadness that is specific to whatever just happened. 
not just a general, you know, sad emoji face. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, that's, that's why I love that drama comes from the word that means to take action. Um, and then it says here, drama tells a story about people in conflict. Um, I don't believe that people have to be in conflict with one another. Um, I think that conflict could be an internal conflict, um, right? So an action to... And it doesn't even have to be like a strong conflict. It could just be someone has a desire, right? Uh, they Or a desire or a goal. They want to do something or achieve something or get something. And the conflict is, I want this, but I don't have it. And now, how am I going to get what I want? What action am I going to pursue to get what I want? Um, so I don't think everything has to be like, ah, oh, here's two or more people and they are in conflict with one another. And only then do we have drama. Um, I think we can have drama without that. It's just a less popular way to go. All right. So he, this is a sort of strange thing for me. This is where I kind of diverge from the book. Um, among artists, among theater artists, uh, there's a lot of shared vocabulary, but some people will have different definitions of various terms, right? Um, so this is, this book sort of talks about theater and drama as if they are... Um, different versions of the same thing um but i think that they are two very different things that are related um so i'll tell you what i mean to me the art of of storytelling for an audience right that you know you uh, a performer an audience and a thing to do to me that's that's theater um and drama is actually the the story right or the whether it's written down or it's improvised um it's the thing that is being performed right that's the drama so um if i if i made a, a class and i called the, this is a drama class i'd say we're going to explore um you know dramatic stories basically um but if it's a theater class we're going to talk about either how to create theater or about how people have created theater, how people, um, you know, how people deliver, how people tell and communicate those, those stories, uh, but not the stories themselves. So it's a, it's a kind of funny distinction and, and not everyone would agree with that and that's totally fine. Um, but that's, that's where I'm at and that's why this slide, uh, slide, 15 if you're keeping up um doesn't make a ton of sense to me um so when it says they are live uh no two performances are the same to me that's that's theater theater is live drama to me is not live drama is a thing on a page or a thing sat in you know sitting in someone's head uh that's then going to be performed um but I will say, you know, if we make that distinction, then I'll say, yes, true. No two performances are the same. So whether that's you playing Hamlet and then me playing Hamlet, or whether that's you playing Hamlet in the afternoon and then playing Hamlet again that night, 
those two performances are different just as your performance is different from my performance. Um, they are about human beings, it says. I would disagree. I don't think that theater or drama has to be about uh, human beings. I think that has typically always been the case, you know, uh, for the longest time. But, you know, just some exceptions. One that I can name, um, a number of years ago in New York, I saw a play called Bears. Uh, it was at 5090-59 theaters, um, and it was about bears. And these bears were being played by humans, and, and these these bears could talk. Um, you know, they could communicate with one another. Um, and we perceive that as English language because the the actors spoke English. Like it, the story was written as a communication in English between bears. Um, but we could use our imaginations and imagine that if we were seeing these bears in nature, they would be growling and grunting and making the sounds that we normally hear bears make. Um, but all that by way of saying it was not about humans at all. It was about bears. Um, uh, similarly, uh, the play War Horse, right? That, if, if you don't know about it, check it out. Uh, there's a film, but the play is really special and involves uh, some amazing puppetry. Um, but the point is, there are a lot of human people in there, so it is to an extent about people. Um, but I think... From my, you know, to my mind, the main character of that play is the horse, right? Um, that horse carries the whole play along with it. Um, so it's, yeah, that's not a, that's a play that has people in it. It's partially about people, but it's mostly about a horse. So I, I don't think that theater has to be about people or about human beings. Um, similarly, you know, no puppets, no actors playing. Uh, animals, you could put uh, a trained dog or multiple dogs on stage and, you know, create choreography for them um, and create choreography that that when it's performed appears to be a story being told. There's There's some sort of, you know, narrative. There's some sort of dramatic action happening between those dogs. Is it not, is that not theater, right? Um, if it, if you just put two dogs on stage and you didn't sort of give them any kind of direction, then, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that's theater. Um, that's two dogs, you know, um, having a chat and a sniff. But, uh, if you give them something to do that, that thing to be performed, then I think that that is theater. And I, I'm totally comfortable calling that theater, um, it's still created uh, on some level by a human, um, but it is not at all about human beings. Um, and then lastly, the last bullet point is they are collaborative art forms, drama and, and theater. So let's just say theater is a collaborative art form, true to an extent, but then there's a big exception of solo performance, right? Um, and especially, let's say it's solo performance in a public space, which happens all the time. I can I can write a script for a solo show and I can drive around the country and perform it anywhere where public performance is allowed 
and that is not a collaborative uh you know art form there is interaction between myself and the audience for sure but what it's talking about here is it requires collaboration between artists um so for most theater absolutely yeah there's usually more than one actor there's usually uh, a director there's usually designers and all of them have to collaborate uh with each other um when they're all there but it is possible to do it without all those people all right let's see moving along uh common categories of theater and then on to uh, slide 17, commercial theater. Woohoo! Commercial uh, theater plays, uh, sorry, commercial plays offer safe themes, plenty of laughs, and spectacles designed to appeal to a majority of people, thereby filling lots of seats and ideally making lots of money. Why do they need to make money? Well, uh, commercial theater runs on the model of we keep doing this play until people stop wanting to come see it. Um, so that's why you hear about shows on Broadway or the West End um, going for decades, right? So Wicked, The Lion King. Um, gosh, now I'm, I'm blinking on what else has been playing for ages. But just those, you know, two examples. Um, oh, in that picture, there's Jersey Boys, Phantom of the Opera. Um, those have been playing for ages. So they will keep playing as long as there's a demand and i'll tell you what it's like yeah what those some of those plays broke even a long 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 time ago and they're just these massive profit machines and yes like you know things have to be updated and checked out um sometimes you know if if there's say there's a flying stunt in a play or something like that you can't just, you know, you got to keep doing safety checks and things like that. But I'll tell you, when I went to see Wicked, um, because someone was in town visiting me that could afford to buy tickets to Wicked, um, and I went, I had a great time. It was a magical experience. But there were some things that I was like, wow, this is, it's, is this still theater? I don't even know. Because um, it, it just stank so much of money. Nothing wrong with money. I love money. It's great. Um, but I was wondering, oh, is this is it money at the expense of any sort of artistic pursuit here? Money at all costs. Um, and I say that the two things that I remember very vividly from that experience, one was um, uh, I, I, I remember walking through some part of one of the many lobbies and seeing this display that said like wicked recycles or something like that and it was um it was made out of recyclable materials and it there was it felt like there was half an inch of dust on that thing um and it looked awful and nobody bothered to clean it up or get rid of it or whatever it, nobody cared right it didn't matter um they could get away with leaving something gross and old and covered in dust out in the lobby um and it didn't matter because people are so into seeing that play it has such a crazy reputation um that people are just gonna come and it it really doesn't matter um what's going on there the 
I don't know if they don't want to spend the money to have someone take it away or they just haven't even noticed or what. Uh, the other thing I, I noticed that I never had this experience before is, you know, I've, I've been in theaters where you can take food and drinks in, you know, um, most theaters, that's not the case, but certainly some. But in this one, there were people drinking sodas with ice in them. Okay, fine. Um, but in this case, they were like hard plastic souvenir cups. And what happens after you finish all your soda? You got a cup full of ice and then you try and get those last those last drops of soda and the ice starts rattling around and then you just start crunching on the ice. And it's this like crazy noisy experience and it's just like oh this is a basketball game or the circus or whatever this like this doesn't feel like theater anymore um granted theater used to be like that a long time ago um where there was a lot of noise and actors had to had to compete with all that noise and, and activity um but you know even at the time that some of that, you know, you would call that more entertainment than than theater. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's it's just it's just about bringing in the dollars. Um, it feels and don't get me wrong, I had a great time. Um, but yeah, I I wouldn't say that I felt like examining myself. I didn't feel like there was any uh, opportunity to spark social change, you know, I was definitely pretty much all in, um, in that right hand category of entertainment. Um, but that's what it was. All right, (laughs) moving on. Historical theater, uh, historical theater presents dramas that use styles, themes, and staging of plays from a particular historical period. Um, so basically, this is theater that is trapped in a bubble of convention, right? So the way that people did things at a particular time, that's the way that they're being presented now. You know, obviously, there's going to be some changes. Um, so an example of this is like uh, historical, uh, quote, period productions of Shakespeare, right? Where they're, the the male characters are wearing, um, you know, doublets, which is like jackety vesty things and hose um right tights basically and um so they're in they're wearing costumes that look like the costumes that the actors in shakespeare's day might have worn um but you're in a you know you're in an air-conditioned theater with uh electric lights shining on the actors so it's it's not 100 percent um historical um but as far as what the performers are doing it's it's meant to feel more or less like that um some other examples are um restoration comedy right it's it's there are some plays where the style the style is really baked into the script and so it's hard to perform it in a way um that doesn't utilize those conventions or, or that style restoration, uh, comedy is, is one of those, um, restoration comedy. You'll read about it later, but it, it was so much about, um, just being dirty and raunchy because just prior to that period, um, theater, the theaters were shut in England. Uh, theater was banned. Um, 
and the you know there was no king for a while um and it was all these puritans running the show and they they did not suffer uh raunchy lewd uh jokes and performances and so as soon as people got them out of the way they came back and all their plays were super dirty and super raunchy almost as if to make up for lost time um so that's the 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 physical and vocal styles that go with that are pretty well demanded of the script and so it it would feel strange to see one i would still go check it out but it would feel strange to see a play um from that period not performed in that way um and then of course there's melodrama which is you know one of the many precursors to musical theater but it's it's theater where there's no singing but there's a constant underscore of music um happening throughout and we sort of associate that now with daytime soap operas um and and there's a very clear like good guy and bad guy um you know good versus evil uh and massive plot twists um and so if if you were to see a a melodrama uh on stage um you know you you would likely see it performed as it would have been. doesn't happen very often. Uh, I think they'd be pretty expensive to, uh, to produce um, and definitely more in the sort of entertainment category. Um, I mean, that's what they were. They were created as sort of entertainment money machines, kind of like Broadway musicals today. Um, but yeah, there, there you go. Uh, all right, so let's move on to the next category which is political theater. Uh, Political theater allows playwrights, directors, and actors to express their personal opinions about current issues, trends, and politics. Right. Okay, so you could do this a number of ways. Yeah, so the playwrights, if if you have a playwright writing a political play in, in the present moment, then obviously they're able to talk about, um, you know, sort of directly what's going on um uh in the world and yeah present their their feelings about it um i think maybe more effectively is is if the um if the playwright doesn't necessarily infuse it with their opinions but they i mean their opinions are probably going to come through in what they choose to write about but let's just say they they write a play that is basically a representative look at what is going on in the world. Um, and they just give that to an audience to experience and to chew on and to think about. And there's something that changes from like when you're watching it on the news to when you're watching actors perform something live um, that you will you are pretty much guaranteed to think about that differently. And you might start to question it and you might start to say... Uh, is that right? Or you might to double down and say like 100%, I'm on board with that. Um, it, yeah, it will vary. Um, but you could also sort of slant things and just show one side. Um, let's say, this sounds crazy, but let's say the news is showing both sides of of the current events and you're writing a play because you want to express your opinion. So maybe you you write a play that is a representative um, interpretation of it, but it only shows you one side of things. And so that has an effect on the audience's experience. Um, 
So that's a possibility. Another possibility is that you take a play from a long time ago that has you know themes or bits of the story that resonate with something that's going on politically in the world today um, and, and as a way to just show the audience, yeah, you know that thing that you're dealing with out in the world today that's been going on for hundreds or thousands of years. Um, should we maybe do something about it now? Right, that's that's something you can do. Or you can sort of blend those two ideas. Um, chances are decent that you've heard of or maybe even had to read for school the play The Crucible by Arthur Miller. Um, so what he does in that play uh, is he writes a new play, but he sets it in a historical time. So he's he's writing about, you know, basically true events that happen. He's dramatizing a little bit, but he does a ton of research uh, to be as accurate as he can um, because he has found a parallel um, between what's going on in the world at that moment, which is the McCarthy hearings, which is the government trying to root out communists, um, which is artists being asked to name names of suspected communists. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty wretched time. And he draws a parallel between that and the witch trials of Salem, Massachusetts in the 17th century. And he says, oh, this is the same thing. I'm going to write a play about that. And he does that in the 50s. And it's brilliant. And of course, people are like, oh, this is what's going on today. It's insane. Like, I think, you know, this was an elected official, Joe McCarthy, who was was going around, you know, people put their their trust in him. Um, And so it maybe didn't seem that ridiculous to a lot of people. But then if you show people... Uh, you know, people trying to go around uh, accusing each other of being witches and being given the death penalty at times for, you know, being a, a suspected witch. That, like, then people might say, wait a second, that's that's a little wacky. Um, oh, but then this thing that I didn't think was wacky, that's pretty much the same thing, so maybe this is wacky, right? So he's just kind of trying to get you to... Uh, to notice that what's going on around you is maybe not the greatest thing. Okay, great. So th- that's those are a few different examples of how theater can be used politically. Um, and then there's experimental theater, uh, which says here, it might break down barriers by eliminating the distance between actor and audience, trying out new staging techniques, or even questioning the nature of theater itself. Right, Um so, yeah, I would say that experimental theater um, identifies either current or historic conventions and examines what happens when they're altered or eliminated altogether. How does it affect the performance? The, how does it affect the audience experience, etc.? cetera, right? Um, so, yeah, you could, if you're used to seeing theater where the audience is on one side um, and the actors are on the other then what happens when they're sort of mingled together, where there's less of a of a barrier? Um, how does that change the experience for the audience? Um, if you're used to a sort of realistic acting style, um, where people are 
able to get sort of immersed in the story and caught up and forget that they are in a theater? What happens if you, you know, create constant reminders that they're in a theater where they start talking directly to you um, or where they start speaking in a very sort of, I don't know, maybe even robotic, but just non-realistic style? Um, what, what changes then? Is there a benefit to that? And then moving on to cultural theater, uh, which is designed to support the heritage, customs, and point of view of a particular people, religion, class, country, or community. Uh, this theater provides a window into a world that is different from an audience's or preserves the unique traditions of a particular society. Um, yeah, it could be a window into a culture that's different from the audience's or it could be a deepening of one's own appreciation for one's own culture. Um, so it's not a different culture, but maybe your experience of your own culture is different from what's being presented, and you get that. Um, yeah, so for example, let's say um, August Wilson, black playwright, uh, wrote some really amazing plays that, to, to quote this slide, provided a window into the black American experience that a lot of people who, you know, who saw these plays who were not culturally black had never witnessed or had never known. Um, I certainly had that experience uh, seeing and even reading um, some of his plays. Um, and so that's, that's a really amazing gift, I would say, that, that he gave us. Um, that and you might not even know that that's going on you might say oh i'm going to see a play and then you sit down you see a play you think it's going to be one thing and then you get this whole experience and you come away with a better understanding and hopefully a deeper appreciation uh for the the people who share that culture maybe what they have gone through to get to where they are um you know, maybe you're seeing a historical uh, narrative where you're seeing what people have gone through to to get to where they are, to to have shaped the culture that is being um, you know presented on stage. And um, this last slide here, uh, curtain call. We need art and theater because they help us see life differently. Entertainment allows us to see life as we see it, with our values and perceptions intact, right? So that's, that's sort of the, the first um, point on that column before. Um, entertainment doesn't typically challenge us. It uh, doesn't usually help us see something different from how we already see it. Um, but I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Art, on the other hand, allows us to expand our experience, intensify our perceptions, challenge conventional wisdom, and introduce another frame of reference, that of the artist. All of that is, I think, fair, and there is truth in that. But what I would say is that it's easier to distinguish art from entertainment if we consider intention at the level of the creator. Um, and it becomes trickier, you know, so, which is to say, like, if I'm intending to to do all this stuff, to have this possible effect on the audience, right, um, for, you know, social change, self-examination, all that, 
then yeah, I'm creating art. If I'm intending to not challenge people, but to just give them what they want, what I know they will love, then yes, I'm intending to create entertainment. Um, but a piece of entertainment in one person's eyes or ears or hands or whatever might feel like art to another. It might challenge someone else. Um, and I think, you know, that could happen even in the same performance. There could be someone from one neighborhood or one cultural background sitting right next to another person um, and they have wildly different experiences of that play. Um, one perceives it as entertainment because it's right up their alley. One perceives it as art because it is challenging their their beliefs and, and what they're used to. Um, right, so entertainment could be perceived as art um, to different viewers depending on their lived experience. Um, what seems par for the course for an American audience could feel incredibly, you know, different or subversive for an audience from a different part of the world where things are done very differently. Um, also, the definition of what's art and what's entertainment, I, I alluded to this before, but it can shift over time, right? I mean, that is, in a way, that is changing, that's a difference in the audience, right? But not a difference in one audience member sitting next to another one. Um, but yeah, through time, Shakespeare was in its in its early days those plays were entertainment right like obviously uh there's some artistry at play there and there's incredible skill in in building those plays but from what we understand he was he was really trying to fill some you know some seats make some money um and he was quite good at doing that. Uh, but there was a, a sort of model of creating theater at the time that he subscribed to. He wasn't, I wouldn't say he was a a mold breaker, you know. He wasn't, you know, going way outside the box in terms of how to create and produce theater. He just wrote in a certain way and had a certain way with words and imagery and just, yeah, his his creative fire was very different and I would say more powerful than a lot of his contemporary playwrights. But I don't necessarily think he was like trying to do something um, so different or subversive or challenging uh, for the audience's minds. He might want to make them laugh. He might want to make them weep. Um, but mostly he wants them to come see his plays. So at the time, that's entertainment. Now, 400 years later, um, we're, people are so in love with his use of imagery um, and because other people have not necessarily continued to use imagery or language quite so brilliantly, um, then maybe his, his work feels more expressive to to people now i'm speaking for myself and and other people but if it's not your experience that's totally cool um but yeah it, it might feel more expressive it might feel more challenging some of the themes might feel like there's more potential for for a social change um 
you know, maybe just because we look at things differently, we see the relationships in his plays differently uh, between man and woman, between, you know, different ethnicities. Um, and so all these things have shifted around these plays. The, the text has stayed the same, but now society has shifted around. Um, and so to some people that might still be entertainment, but to some people that would feel more like art. Um, so yeah, we, we can talk about, okay, what was their intention, but it's also so much about, well, how are people perceiving it? And does, does the artist get to define whether it's art or entertainment, or is that really just up to every individual audience member? Cool. That's what I got for now. Um, that's chapter one. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a lot and future chapters will typically, you know, be a little bit shorter. Um, but you you kind of it's you know it's that silly thing of building the the foundation of the house um and it's important to make that sort of strong and sturdy um if you have any questions uh email me um and yeah i'll talk at you at a later date all right take care bye